Hello, and welcome to Swallows of the South. I'm Quinn Wilson, storyteller. Today, I'm releasing a mini-episode that is going to describe some of the basics of the Exalted 3rd Edition system to everyone, so that they can understand what's happening during the game, because sometimes we gloss over some of the mechanics to improve ease of listenership. So you'll hear mechanical terms used and resolved, but maybe not detailed explanations. So this is a forum in which I'm going to explain some of those. At its base, Exalted is a D10 dice pool game using the storytelling system in the vein of the World of Darkness games. So if you're familiar with that, the basic mechanics are not going to be terribly unfamiliar to you. You have, for your character, a set of attributes, which are strength, dexterity, and stamina in the physical category, charisma, manipulation, and appearance in the social category, and wits, intelligence, and perception in the mental category. And each of those is rated from 1 to 5, which represents a number of 10-sided dice that you will use in pools when you combine them with your different abilities. And there are 25 abilities, so I will not go through listing all of them, but they cover everything from combat skills to survival skills to social skills to crafting abilities, etc. And like the attributes, they are rated from 1 to 5. So when a roll is made, you will hear me say, please make a attribute plus ability check. And that means that they take the number of dice they have in their attribute and the number of dice that they have in their ability, and they roll those as a pool. So for example, if I were to say, please make a dexterity plus athletics check, which is the pool that is used for rush actions in combat, and the character has three dexterity and two athletics, they would be rolling a pool of five dice. When you roll the dice, all of the numbers on the dice that come up between seven and ten are successes. You are usually competing against a set difficulty number that you are trying to overcome, and so you want to accumulate as many successes as you can in order to overcome that. Tens are particularly useful in doing that in this game because tens always count as two successes. There are some rules and some powers that your character might have that would allow you to count everything from a seven up as two successes, but those are generally pretty powerful abilities. If you should ever roll the dice and roll no successes and at least one one, you've botched your roll, which means that something unfavorable beyond the scope of typical failure is going to happen. One way that players have to mitigate this potential failure is a system called stunting, which has been around since first edition Exalted and is designed to really encourage you to engage in over-the-top epic action. Essentially, stunting means that if you describe your action in a cool and flavorful way, then you will get bonus dice on your ability check, which means that you'll be more likely to succeed. This isn't a game where running, jumping, hanging on a chandelier, and crashing down from a perch on the chandelier is going to be a series of rolls with increasing difficulties. That's just going to be your attack roll, and you're going to get extra dice to make sure that you are better at doing that than you would be if you had just said that I hit the guy with my sword. Stunts are generally rated from 1 to 3 dots and provide increasingly larger bonuses. 2 and 3 dot stunts include automatic successes as well as bonus dice, 
and they also will refund your character willpower that they've spent. So anytime you can, stunting is a great thing to do, and it makes the game narratively engaging for everyone. It's one of my favorite mechanics of all time, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. So that, in a nutshell, is the basic resolution mechanic. You roll attribute plus ability. Everything that comes up between 7 and 10 is a success, with 10s counting as two successes. And if you describe your action in a cool and flavorful way, you'll get extra dice or even extra successes in order to overcome the obstacles. Beyond that, Exalted is a transparent system. So generally speaking, it's expected that when players roll dice, they know the difficulty that they're contending with. In order to understand how the powers in Exalted work, though, it's important that you understand that there are different types of Exalted, each of whom have a different and unique suite of powers. Always these powers are going to be called charms, but their specific manifestations and flavors will change depending on the type of Exalted that we're talking about. In 3rd edition, in the core book, as with the 1st and 2nd edition cores, the only playable exalted type is the Solars, the returning champions of the sun, and their charms exist as these extensions of their natural ability and excellence. So these are not like D&D spells where you learn a magical formula or you commune with your god and it grants you these specific calculable or measurable effects. It's more the case where because the solars have been granted the divine touch of the sun, they are able to perform their tasks at which they are excellent so much better and to these incredible supernatural effects. You are such a good athlete and you are so nimble that now you can easily run along a wire the width of a human hair. You're not activating a spell that one could learn in order to do that. You're just literally that good. And I think that that's an important distinction to make when talking about Exalted and particularly the charms of the Solars. In order to learn charms, it is required that your character has a certain number of dots in an ability, as well as a certain number of dots of essence. And essence scores in Exalted represent how in tune one is with their inner self, the world around them, and is essentially a reflection of the degree and extent to which they are able to harness and utilize their supernatural power. Even though charms are natural extensions of your character's excellence, that doesn't mean that they are free. In order to use a charm, a character needs to spend motes of essence in order to power them. And that reflects the wellspring that they have within them of supernatural might. It's the amount of energy and supernatural prowess that the character might have available to them at any time. And motes are split into two separate pools. There's a personal pool, and when characters use those, there's not any major external visible effects if they spend a lot of essence. But this pool tends to be smaller, so if you're making big expenditures, it can be hard to be stealthy. Now you might be wondering what I mean when I say hard to be stealthy. The other pool is the peripheral pool, and when you spend motes out of the peripheral pool, for every increment of five motes you spend, you essentially have a aura a halo begin to form around you. At the first level, a cast mark, symbolic of your cast that you have been chosen by the sun to fill, erupts on your forehead. Each cast has a unique mark that is identifiable and marks you as one of the sun's chosen. After you spend five more motes beyond that, you are filled in a blazing aura of light 
Think like power-ups in Dragon Ball Z, where there is just a huge billowing cloud of light that is emerging around them. That's basically what the burning level of anima is like. And after you spend five more motes, then things get really interesting. Your character's anima congeals into a totem that is symbolic of everything that is important to them and their sort of true self. So a mighty warrior might have his anima congeal into the form of a mighty tiger whose roar shatters the sky. And this can be seen for miles around. It's a towering pillar of light that can be seen by all who happen to look upon the event. So at that point, stealth is certainly impossible, and everyone's going to know that there is a being of this immense supernatural might in the area. That's essence expenditures, so Nihir is talking about moats and deciding whether or not moats are going to come from personal or peripheral essence pools. That's what we're talking about. There are other kinds of exalted, like the chosen of the moon, the lunars, the chosen of the stars, the sidereals, the chosen of the great dragons who rule the realm which dominates most of creation, the dragon-blooded, and each of them have their own interesting and unique suite of charms that operate on different principles and have different aesthetics, but I can't speak to what those are just yet because things might be changing a bit in 3rd edition. There's also some exalted who are present and teased about in the core book, that we don't actually know all that much about because they are completely unique and new to 3rd edition. That being said, let's touch back on Solars for a moment. In addition to the charms that stem from their abilities, Solars are also afforded two other avenues to get charms. Those are Martial Arts and Sorcery. Martial Arts is mystical kung fu, essentially. It is practice that, through emulating these katas and practice and self-discipline, one manages to, when coupled with the divine fire of the unconquered sun, unlock these incredibly powerful combat techniques that work very well together. Godwin is a martial artist who employs the silver-voiced nightingale form, but there are many different styles that dot the face of creation, and each style has its own unique repertoire and set of charms. And sorcery is the ability for one to connect with and commune with the basic essence of the world, and to make great wonders from that. Spell effects can range from the ability to generate a small cloud on which you can ride, to the summoning of a swarm of obsidian butterflies to cut down armies. Sorcerers can also engage in projects called sorceress workings where, through time, labor, and sorceress preparations, they're able to do great wonders that can change the face of creation itself. When sorcerers cast spells, they don't cast spells using the motes from their moat pools, though. They use sorceress motes, which they collect from the area around them through the essence that is ambient within creation. Both Ariston and Rizzo are themselves sorcerers. Though solars can use these, and they are largely the best at both sorcery and martial arts, martial arts and sorcery are available to all of the other kinds of exalts. Their ability to wield essence allows them these capabilities. There are even some rare mortals who have the ability to harness and use the powers of sorcery, but they are very, very rare. Now that we've touched on martial arts and sorcery, let's take a moment to look at the different types of solar exalted that exist. Solars are divided into five castes based on the positions that they occupy and the things that they do. There are the Dawn Castes, who are warriors and generals. 
There are the Zenith Casts, who are wandering priest kings. There are Twilights, who are crafters, lore masters, and sorcerers. There are Nightcasts, who are assassins, conmen, and the people who will do the underhanded things that no one else is willing to do in order to make sure that everything runs as it needs to. And there are the Eclipse cast, who are traveling diplomats and peacemakers, who have a special relationship with things like spirits. Each of the five solar casts is afforded a unique spread of abilities that they are better at than others. And when you build a character in Exalted, you get to pick one of these abilities that is one of your cast abilities, and it is a supernal ability. Supernal abilities are interesting because they allow one to ignore the essence rating requirements, on the charms that one purchases. So it's essentially like coming into a game and being able to buy your way into max level abilities and spells as long as you meet all of the other prerequisites. So that means that your character in Exalted starts at the absolute peak of ability if you decide to build them that way, and I think that that's really, really cool. So there's just a couple more system terms that we want to go over. The combat system in Exalted 3rd Edition was designed to be engaging and narrative and cinematic. And the way that they did that is they took the basic combat system that you might find in any game and they really teased apart what was going on. What you get in the end is this split between two types of attacks. There are withering attacks and there are decisive attacks. Withering attacks are designed to emulate trying to get the upper hand in a fight. So a successful withering attack might not actually result in you hurting your enemy. Your character is trying to, but it might look like a series of blocked blows as your character presses in, clearly taking the advantage, though not pressing in and actually injuring their opponent. These are designed to take initiative away from the enemy and give it to you. Like in most other systems, initiative determines your turn order, but it also reflects in Exalted the amount of control that you have over a conflict. So as you get better and as you take more control over a situation, the earlier you get to go in your turn and the more damage you'll do against the enemy when you decide to make a decisive attack, which is when your character finally seizes an opening that they've made in this conflict, and goes in for the kill. When you roll damage on a decisive attack, you're rolling your initiative pool and it damages their health track directly, whereas when you make a withering attack, you're attacking the character's initiative pool and that is actually gated behind something that is called soak. So when you roll, you have to beat their either parry or evasion value and that obviously reflects how good they are at parrying away or dodging an attack. And you get extra dice equal to the number of successes that you got over their value to your damage roll. However, your damage roll is then modified by your opponent's soak. So you subtract a number of dice equal to their soak from your pool before you roll it. Let's say after all of the rollover successes, you have a pool of 15 damage dice that you're going to roll to attack your enemy. But your enemy has 8 soak, so 15 minus 8, you're only rolling 7 dice to damage your enemy. Soak exists to help maintain your initiative. You don't get to apply soak on decisive attacks, but there is a stat called hardness which exists as a gate to attacks that are being made against you that are decisive that are not of high enough initiative value. So if you have, for example, a hardness of 8 and you have an opponent with an initiative of 6, if they try to attack you, it's not going to land because you are so defensible that even though they've seized this opportunity and this opening, it still meets your armor or your 
invulnerable skin and bounces off. One more important thing to note about the actual attacks is that when you make a decisive attack, your initiative resets to base, which is typically three. So after you make this big decisive attack, you have to regain all of this combat momentum in order to make another huge strike. Aside from that, in Exalted, movement is not measured like it is in some other games, like D&D, where you are able to move a certain number of feet per turn. It's more abstracted, and you deal with range bands going from close to short to medium to long. It's a more kind of abstract measurement of how close you are, and there are certain maneuvers that one can do in order to make sure that either they stay away from enemies who would like to close in on them, or that they bear down on enemies who try to keep away from them. Those are called and disengage actions, and if they come up, you'll hear them in the show. One final note, the game exists to model things that don't fit generally into the basic withering decisive split with a mechanic called gambits, which allow you to do everything from disarming attacks to breaking bones to grappling, and they're modeled like the decisive attacks where you roll and then you roll your initiative as damage, but it's against a difficulty set by the gambit, and if you succeed, then you get that particular effect that you're going for, and you only lose a little bit of your initiative when you do that. One final interesting mechanical thing about Exalted in general is that it has a very, very robust interesting social maneuvering system. This means that every character has the potential to interact with and deal with people socially in some very, very interesting ways. The basis of this system is something called intimacies, which are the beliefs that your character holds and the relationships that they maintain. These are split into ties and principles. Ties are your relationships, and principles are the beliefs that your character strongly holds, and each intimacy is rated on a scale from minor to defining, with with major existing in between those that reflects how important this relationship or belief is to your character. And social influence works by trying to figure out what the other person that you're interacting with believes or the relationships that they hold dear. You're trying to figure out their intimacies using what is called a read intentions action, which is contested by their guile, which is how inscrutable the character is. And once you have a sense for the character's intimacies, you can either try to use those to make them believe new things and develop new intimacies using an instill action, or you can try to leverage powerful intimacies in order to convince the character to do things using a persuade action. And both of these roles are contested by a character's resolve score, which is how stalwart they are and how immovable their beliefs are. Whenever a character's resolve is beaten, the character always has the choice to spend a point of the character's willpower in order to resist this influence. So if you don't want to develop a tie of attraction to the courtier who has cornered you at the ball and has been talking to you for the last little while, you can spend willpower to avoid that. But it allows for a really interesting, fun back and forth where you're delving in, you're poking at what the other character believes, and eventually, because you figured out so much about this character and who and what is important to them, that you've been able to convince them of other important things that are important to you and then leverage that to convince them to undertake this task that you need them to undertake. And the difficulty of the task that you're asking is related to the strength of the intimacy that you're pulling on. And strong intimacies can also be used to bolster a character's resolve or to make it harder to resist it if you're acting in line with that intimacy. 
So that also means that figuring out the character's intimacies allows you more levers to kind of push as you're dealing with them. That is social influence in a nutshell. It's about figuring out and pressing on intimacies in order to develop levers that you can press to convince people to do increasingly difficult or troublesome things. You can see that we've done a lot of that kind of social maneuvering in the show already, but I figured that I would lay out the basics of the mechanics right here. I hope that all of this mechanical talk was useful and helpful. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at swallowsofthesouth at gmail.com. I hope that this was an enlightening listen. Thank you. Willpower is a resource that every character in the game has that they can spend in order to get an automatic success on a die roll. It's representative of a character pushing themselves very hard in order to ensure that they snatch success from the jaws of potential defeat.